Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast, the only show that talks about watching soccer on TV, online and on apps. Coming up on episode 9 of the World Soccer Talk podcast, uh, we discuss the impact that a 48-team World Cup will have on television, news regarding developments at Fox Sports, as well as the new face of their their Bundesliga coverage, details about the most watched Premier League game of the season thus far, and questions from you, the listeners. My name is Christopher Harris, aka The Gaffer, and Kartik Krishnaya. Kartik, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing okay. Uh, How about you? Not too bad, not too shabby. Uh, kind of still, uh, kind of basically, kind of get into grips with uh, the, kind of the winter break. Well, it's not really a winter break in, in the Premier League, but uh, kind of uh, enjoying enjoying this run of football, especially with the, the League Cup games this week and everything. So we'll be talking about that in a little bit. Okay, so let's go into segment one, which is what we've been watching, Kartik. All right, so Kartik, let me let me kick off um, in terms of what, what I've been watching. Um, that this is kind of I think last Thursday it was, so it was after the the podcast taped. But watched a, a really entertaining uh, Copa del Rey first leg match between Athletic Bilbao and and Barcelona. And for anyone who watched this match, uh, I think you'd agree with me that it was a very physical game. Uh, but it was a game that the referee missed so much. Um, it was. A lot of things going on, a lot of uh, fouls that the referee seemed to miss. So um, as the game progressed, it just got more physical and more physical. It ended up being that I think Athletic finished with nine men on, on the field. But it could have easily been Barcelona. It could have had some players sent off too. Or, and there was penalty uh, kind of controversy also. The one thing that stood out from, for me for this match, unfortunately, was a really... And this is something, Kartik, I don't know if you've seen, but this is... Um, whether this game or any other games, but it was an example of how well the mics are set up in, in a game. And it was unfortunate because um, there was an incident in the box and uh, Umtiti, the Barcelona defender, uh, I think it was for a corner kick, was getting ready, standing in the box, and all of a sudden one of the athletic players came over and elbowed him, or punched him actually. It was more of a punch in his throat, and the player, the Barcelona player, fell to the ground, and the audio mics were able to pick up the sound of him. Basically, he couldn't breathe. I mean, and it, was, it probably was about, about it seemed like a minute or two minutes 
the um, medical crews rushed over, and he he wasn't he couldn't breathe. And it was one of those things that oh, it was like horrible to listen to because the mics picked it up so well that you could hear everything, and you could see that the player was in distress. Uh, it was a blatant foul, and actually the referee missed it. There was no yellow card or red card. It should have been a red card, straight red card for that incident. But uh, I'm wondering if, if you've kind of seen anything like that before too, Carter, because it was pretty distressing for the viewer to watch. It was really bad. It was really distressing. And, and um, I'm sure I have, but I just can't think offhand of anything quite like that I've seen recently. Yeah, yeah. It's a good example of you mean, the audio mics being able to pick up stuff. But in that instance, uh, it was something that's, oh, gosh, I wish, wish they had turned it down because it, it was really painful to, to watch and, and listen to. And, and, and fortunately, he was fine. He got up, um, but then, <laughs> then tried to retaliate, uh, which I don't blame him against the athletic player. And uh, it was a really physical game. But, but it was entertaining to watch uh, from the football perspective also. Uh, FA Cup, I didn't watch every match, but um, I did watch quite a few. And um, the reason I didn't watch every match is my daughter had a soccer tournament um, they won, fantastic, but but it, me- it meant that I had to kind of um, watch FA Cup matches either a little bit here, a little bit there, and some some on uh, delay, but wasn't able to watch everything. But what I would say, Kartik, is that uh, from my perspective, is Fox Sports's coverage was actually really good. I in previous seasons, even last year and years before, there's always been some flubs, like whether it was. Um, on the maps, and they had, I think they had, what was it, one of the teams, they had, I can't even remember which team it was, but they had a kind of a, a graphic showing kind of uh, Great Britain, and they showed one of the teams completely. I think it was Everton and West Ham game, I think they had <laughs> London. They had Everton uh, in London, or something like that? Right. Yeah, so, yeah, so, so I mean, a lot of screw-ups and stuff like that, or things that they would say, or just, I mean, just, just really... Uh, kind of uh, cringing kind of uh, type of um, commentary or analysis. But this was really good. I, I think part, part of the reason, really, Kartik, is the difference was, uh, for me at least, was having Ian Joy front the broadcast rather than Rob Stone. For me, when Rob Stone's doing it, he seems a little bit insincere, doesn't really maybe value the FA Cup as much. Uh, Ian Joy, who's somebody who's probably played in it, he's played, he's played for Kidderminster uh, in England as well as many teams um, throughout the, the great British Isles as well as in Germany and, and the United States. But he seemed more authentic, really seemed to be kind of into it, and, and that seemed to help too. But, um, yeah, so I enjoyed it. I mean, it was interesting too, actually, from um, the commentary perspective, because for that first match, the Man United against Reading, well, the first match on the Saturday, they began the broadcast with Ian Dark and Owen Hargreaves, and we've talked a lot about Ian Dark and Hohen Hargreaves uh, a couple episodes ago as far as some of our favorite uh, commentators and co-commentators. And they were on the BT Sport feed. But within about five minutes after the match started, um, Fox switched it. And they switched it to the global feed. I think I guess they realized they made a mistake. And then I think we had uh, Guy Mowbray uh, for the rest of the match, which he, he's pretty good. But to me, he's no Ian Dark or Owen Hargreaves. Um, how about you, Kartik? Do you get a chance to watch um, much FA Cup? No, I, quite frankly, coming off the festive period, and I, I was like a Premier League manager who rotates their squad you know, coming off that festive period. I, I kind of rotated my, my viewing and <laughs> spent not much time watching football this weekend. I did watch the Villarreal-Barca game, which I think was a disappointing uh, result for Villarreal. 
given how well they played, given, again, some officiating controversies. I did watch that. I watched part of the Preston-Arsenal game, which um, I thought Preston outplayed them, the portion. So I watched but came back, uh, saw that Arsenal came back and won. Uh, Giroud, no surprise, with a late goal. Um, he's, that's a specialty of his, uh, like Solskjaer, back in the day with Manchester United. And then uh, tried to watch the Aston Villa first game, but then um, our former colleague, Nipun Chopra, called me and said, hey, let's record a podcast on uh, this Division Two in the U.S., uh, NASL, USL sanctioning. So I ended up doing that while I had the uh, game on the television. You can find on uh, Nipun's stream somewhere. So... Um, Really, soccer-wise, my time was taken up by that whole D2 situation, which I know we'll get to later in the show. Sure. Yeah, it, when duty calls, uh, you, you got to kind of uh, do the pod, so completely understandable there. Uh, some of the other FA Cup stuff I saw, I saw a little bit of uh, Sutton United against um, AFC Wimbledon, uh, which was uh, a good atmosphere, small grounds, uh, uh, eventually a nil-nil draw, so... Not an entertain, most entertaining game, but it was kind of strange though because it was actually played on an artificial surface, so that kind of uh, ruins uh, the occasion slightly. Um, some of the other FA Cup um, observations I had: it was nice to see actually Keith Costigan there with Fox Sports. He was doing pre-match interviews live from Deepdale for the uh, Preston against uh, Arsenal match, and we had uh, he had a pre-match interview with Kevin Kevin Kilbarn. Uh, Kevin Kilbane, which was really, uh, really good. And I thought it was nice to see Keith uh, at, at the match uh, commentating, etc. Well, actually providing his analysis. Um, on the panel, we, on, in the studio, we had uh, Ian Joy, as uh, aforementioned, as well as Warren Barton, Brad Friedel, Alexi Lalas. Uh, the analysis was nothing illuminating. Uh, it was kind of the average stuff that you would expect to hear on any, any podcast or, or radio show. Um, you would think that they would add, add something enlightening or something intriguing or interesting, but it was kind of just the, the same old stuff. Nothing too much to say there, too. But uh, the one thing I did watch, Kartik, that was a little bit different was actually... Um, so so I didn't get to watch all of the games. And actually, I wrote a piece. I'm not sure if you had a chance to read it, but I wrote a piece about the FA Cup, and I was just talking about how the FA Cup coverage, TV coverage, is still stuck in the radio age, which... Basically, what the, the kind of the premise of the story was is that you look at most of the matches played over the weekend. It's like what thirty-two matches, I think it was. Twenty-five of them uh, are played on the Saturday, so the majority are played on the Saturday. And out of those twenty-five, I think twenty twenty-one all kick off at the same time, which is ten o'clock Eastern, uh, three o'clock uh, UK time, and. Um, so if you want to kind of follow, oh, first of all, if you want to watch some of those matches, so like Everton against Leicester is one example. That match was not available anywhere in the world live. Uh, you weren't able to watch it. Um, and there was a bunch of other matches too. Like there's a Newcastle against Birmingham. I mean, you go down the long list. There's only a few that they can actually show. Well, they could show more. And, and that was kind of about the article I was talking about. It was the way the FA Cup is structured from a TV perspective, but also from a scheduling perspective, it doesn't make it a very attractive TV property because there is no whip-around coverage show. There's no multi-match 90 or uh, Champions League goal show type of thing or, or goal rush. There isn't that available yet. Uh, hopefully in the future there would be. Um, but at the end of the day, you're able to get and see some of the goals, maybe half-time, but not much. Um, and I don't think there was kind of a, a, a wraparound um, kind of a review show from Fox Soccer in terms of the FA Cup. But what I did watch was on BBC One, 
on Saturday night. They had a FA Cup highlight show, and that one went through every single game and showed every single goal. Um, so obviously there's cameras at every every stadium, but I mean, for a typical Premier League match, you might have 32 cameras. For an FA Cup match, you might have say three or four. There are just if if that just to pick up the just to be able to shoot the the goal highlights. Um, and actually, to me, Kartik, it was a little bit of a chore to go through. It wasn't a lot of really appealing, fantastic storylines from the FA Cup third round uh, thus far. The only one to me, really, that was of most interest, perhaps, was uh, Plymouth going to Anfield and getting that nil-nil tie. But uh, what are your thoughts, Carter, on the FA Cup, just uh, in general, in terms of, um, you know, I mean, is there a way to kind of improve this product to make it better for, for TV? Uh, yeah, I'm sure there is, but the um, the reality of the situation is that many teams are not taking the the competition seriously in the Premier League. And I have to point out in the championship, in the championship, there are a lot of teams that are chasing promotion that don't play their first squads. Uh, I, I think uh, there's been a narrative that's developed that it's, oh, it's the top Premier League clubs that are, that are snubbing this competition. It's the top six, the top eight or whatever. But in reality, if you look at, at, at the squad rotation of, of championship clubs, it happens there are two for the clubs chasing promotion. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't know how it becomes a more appealing TV property if you're going to continue to have the third round right after the festive period. I'm not quite sure um, how you fix the, uh, the the time slots because the 3 p.m. kickoff in in, in England is uh, is uh, is sacrosanct. And the the reality is that this competition still exists for the fans and the uh, the, the 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 romance of the cup. For lower division sides, not for necessarily for Premier League and Championship sides, but for uh, amateur sides, for uh, sides that we 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 uh, fall in love with for a round or two, that uh, that have uh, supporters that are accustomed to watching matches at a certain time. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure you can do much more with the, with the competition. Uh, Sutton United is a great example. That's the type of uh, club we fall in love with in the FA Cup. They um, uh, would have to play uh, generally in that 3 p.m. Uh, on the Saturday time slot. So um, there's some ability to move games around for television, and we've seen that, but I'm not quite sure how you make it too much more attractive. I mean, in, in some, some respects, it's, it's, a, it's a throwback, and it's important for newer fans of the game to understand this is what English football was like before the Premier League away. And this is the, um, this is the type of television coverage and exposure you got to it before the Premier it became this global phenomenon. It's kind of nice, in a way, yeah. uh, to be from from that perspective. That's, that's a great point, uh, and, and that kind of, in some ways, that that article I wrote, which is still on uh, WorldSoccerTalk.com, talks about kind of basically that uh, you know, I mean, basically the FA Cup TV coverage is stuck stuck in a different decade. It's not in you know, in the 2010s, whatever. It's it's back in like the 1990s, it seems, just because it's so few games televised. Um, the coverage usually there's the single commentator. There isn't the the two the, the two commentators, um, but um, overall it's it's not a very well televised broadcast. Now on radio, Kartik. I mean, to me, the FA Cup is made for radio. You can tune into, I mean, BBC Five Live or Talk Sports, and I mean, you got a radio kind of uh, um, basically broadcasters jumping from ground to ground to ground across England and, and Wales kind of telling you, okay, hey, this is what's happening at this small ground. This is who scored here. 
And from a radio perspective, it's captivating. It's actually, to me, it's be better to uh, experience the FA Cup through radio than it is through um, television. But but how? what does that say? I mean, how, how few of us really, unless you live in the UK or live in a, a big city, how few of us really kind of uh, live our lives through, through radio anymore? Um, one, one thing that could happen, Kartik, perhaps, um, is, is seeding. Because um, even for the fourth fourth round of the FA Cup, the draw that they made, um, almost all of the teams, the, the kind of the lower league teams, most of them are, are playing away. So there's very few glamatized where you can see, okay, say, I don't know, Sutton United, well, they have to beat uh, Wimbledon, but Sutton United at home against Manchester United or some, something like that. Most of it is kind of, you mean, I don't know, uh, uh, whoever it may, may be, if it's... Um, Liverpool, if they beat Plymouth, Liverpool will play home against. Uh, I can't even remember which team it was, but it, it's not a glamour tie that that it could it could be. But um, it's luck of the draw, and and that's the way it's set up right now. But definitely changes are needed, I believe. Uh, Kartik, one more thing before we go on to the next segment, and that's the, the League Cup, EFL Cup. Uh, I watched both of the games this week um, on BN Sports. And uh, a little bit, well, actually a lot underwhelmed. I, I was expecting, given what uh, BN Sports has done in previous rounds of this tournament, that they would be having uh, kind of analysis and kind of maybe 30 minutes with Ke Kevin Egan and Gary Bailey and you mean kind of uh, George Metellus and kind of kind of maybe Kay, Kay Murray too and maybe Terry Lee. Uh, kind of given, given a lot of analysis. Um, and it was kind of really mailed in. Uh, I think George Metellus, I think it was on both of them, but it was kind of just kind of a, just a... Actually, no, he was on one on Tuesday, and I think it was uh, um, Andres yeah, yeah, on no. Wednesday. But it was kind of just a very matter-of-fact, here's what, what the game is, a couple of minutes of um, team lineups and ready for the match. I, I, I guess in some ways, though, too, I mean, you've got Copa del Rey happening at the same time, and you've got, um, I, I, yeah, Copa del Rey and Coupe, uh, Coupe de France actually happening too on BN Sports. So maybe they were just stretched, or maybe some of these, uh, some of the talent are still on on uh, vacation, perhaps. Who knows? Okay, Kartik, let's move on to the next segment. next segment is uh, TV streaming news and, and Kartik, unfortunately we're going to start off with some uh, sad news and that is that uh, Graham Taylor uh, who was the England manager profiled in the uh, Fly on the Wall documentary Do I Not Like That um, has died today, uh, age 72 and uh, while he was a legend at Watford, helping them rise to the first division and discovering John Barnes uh, he is remembered unfortunately by many for his failure in trying to get England to qualify for World Cup 1994 uh, and that film uh, focuses on that failed qualifying attempt. Uh, Kartik, what, what are some of your memories of, of Graham Taylor? I think of him more as the Watford manager, the guy that kind of revolutionized that uh, intake of youth players, Watford Academy, Barnes, uh, other folks, uh, at, at the height of uh, Watford's uh, existence. I was thinking about that recently uh, with the uh, Behind the Badge documentary that NBC Sports and Gary Lineker did on Watford. I think of him more about that, uh, of that than, but of course the English press and England and fans around England are obsessed with Eng the England national team. So unfortunately, that's a that was an unfortunate blot on his career that has uh, come to define him. 
Yeah, unfortunately, one of the, the kind of the striking images that I have in my head uh, of him is uh, the cover. Uh, I think it was the Sun that had it. Basically, it was kind of a turnip head, and it had a big, big picture of a, a turnip, and it had kind of uh, Graham Taylor's uh, face uh, superimposed on that. And uh, it was kind of just talking about the failure of England, kind of crashing out of, of qualifying. Um, and it was 93, I think that would have been probably, or late 93. And I remember being in England on, on vacation for a few weeks there. And um, it was kind of a sad time, actually. I, I think in, if you look back at that team, it wasn't the greatest of England teams anyway. And I think um, he did the best with what he he had. He probably could have done a better job. But really, kind of that Watford story in terms of him, uh, I mean, Elton John as the chairman and kind of that, that rise in, in the late 70s and just taking them up to... That first division was an incredible story for such a small club at that time. And, and then going on in managing, I think he managed at uh, Wolves uh, and, and also um, I think Aston Villa. Um, but at, at the end of the day, from, from a TV kind of uh, TV or radio or uh, streaming perspective, uh, I often remember him as just doing a lot of radio commentaries for BBC Five Live. And uh, from what I've heard and, and, and every, everything I've read about him too, that everyone said that he was just a very... He was a gentleman. He was he was uh, a nice guy. Uh, had time, made time for everyone, and uh, it's definitely a shame to to see him that uh, he's he's passed away. Kartik, uh any other news from uh, TV streaming land? Yeah, so CBS is going to be on Hulu's live streaming platform that includes CBS Sports Network, uh, college soccer, NASL. Not much more in the way of soccer there, but they will be on uh, Hulu's live streaming platform, which is uh, good news for uh, millions and millions and millions of Hulu subscribers uh, in this uh, in this country. Yeah, yeah, and, and Hulu will be then uh, once they launch this new live streaming platform, which is supposed to be called Hulu. I mean, they're, they're not going to change the name at, at all. They're just going to kind of add this um, component in terms of being able to watch um, you know, programming from. CBS, uh, Fox, uh, we'll have to wait and see about uh, NBC and some of the, other, the others, but uh, it'll be another opportunity to kind of have your Sling TV versus PlayStation View versus DirecTV Now versus Fubo versus Hulu. So just a, another competitor, which hopefully should bring down the pricing um, and make it more competitive and hopefully a better product for us at the end of the day. Contact with the CBS Sports Network off offhand, do you know if that deal with NASL is for... Was it just for last season, or is that going to continue? Last season, but perhaps it continues this season. We'll see. I mean, there's a there's a lot the uh, NASL has to sort out, uh, and USL is on ESPN, so ESPN three and ESPN uh, News and ESPN two, so they will not uh, be on CBS Sports Network. Uh, and so that means some of the teams you saw on CBS Sports Network that were NASL teams last year and moved to USL, Ottawa and Tampa Bay, uh, being those two teams, are now on the ESPN family of networks. Ah, okay. And uh, on to next news, and that's Fox Sports. Uh, Fox Sports this week had seminars uh, in a mountain retreat, and uh, they're getting ready for the 2017 Confederations Cup this summer, as well as the 2018 FIFA World Cup. And uh, all of their talent and production crews were there, and they were led by uh, David Neal, who's their uh, executive producer, uh, to begin preparations for all of their FIFA coverage, uh, as well as Major League Soccer, Bundesliga, uh, Etc. So it's an opportunity to kind of get everyone on board, uh, probably talk to them about each of the cities that um, the World Cup is going to be in in Russia, uh, some of the challenges I'm sure, and as well as uh, how this whole thing is going to come together in terms of 
uh, it, it's a huge operation, and, um, and and it's good that to see that they're they're working ahead. It'll be interesting to see too what talent they bring in. Uh, I've heard some rumblings about Fox already, um, basically kind of pinning down some t uh, big big talent uh, commentators to be uh, doing the World Cup coverage. So as I get more information about that, I'll be sure to report that on worldsoccertalk.com. One of the interesting developments that came out of this uh, retreat uh, meetings that they've had this week is that uh, Fox Sports executives have stated that we have two home teams, USA and Mexico. And that's a departure, I, I, to me it is at least, Kartik, uh, for Fox, given their rah-rah support for the US national team. And, and yes, they have covered Mexico games in the past before, and I think probably adding Fernando Fiore as well as uh, Hercules Gomez uh, is definitely kind of helping out on the kind of the you know, bilinguals or the Hispanic uh, side of things. But what are your thoughts, Kotick, on, on them kind of going in and trying to win over the Mexican uh, audience on, on the English language side? Well, first off, I don't think it's new and it doesn't really surprise me because going back to the 2013 World Cup uh, when they had uh, Francisco X Rivera, uh, on, on the telecast, and that was the first Gold Cup they had shown on a, on a network of soccer channel. Uh, that was uh, there was a, there was a concerted attempt to tell inside of the story uh, to uh, the, the goal. Now it was only a story in the American side of the story, starting in 2013. Doing that, I think what we found from empirical data is that there were a lot of English language dominant Mexican households that perhaps Fox feels they can target, and they can target those away from uh, now it'll be uh, Telemundo, NBC Universal's uh, uh, Spanish language uh, networks that uh, that have the World Cup. And with Univision, the, the, the network that has a traditional hold on Mexican-American families in the United States losing the World Cup rights. So I think it's a smart strategic play. Will they be successful? I'm not sure. I would be pessimistic about that. But good on them for trying, because it, it certainly uh, is something that is there uh, potentially demographically for them to pick up an audience. And then that would uh, take World Cup ratings on Fox probably past where they were on ESPN and ABC, quite honestly. If they can get those Spanish language, uh, those, those people who are English language dominant households to uh, but uh, have been watching Spanish language broadcasts on Univision of previous World Cups uh, to switch. Uh, I will call I will throw a little bit of cold water on this and saying I know many English language fans who say they're going to watch the World Cup on another network, uh, on, presumably on Telemundo, because of uh, uh, their dislike of Fox. But I think that that's just a small niche soccer snob audience mm -hmm. that they care about anyway. Right. One of the challenges I think Fox will face, though, in terms of TV ratings is the, the kickoff times. Uh, with it being in Russia... Uh, I believe most of the games are going to kind of be um, early morning, kind of and, and late morning. So there's not going to be uh, like with Brazil, where we had games kind of uh, in the afternoon and and sometimes going into the evening. So that's going to be a big challenge for them, um, as well as the size of the country. But uh, yeah, it will be interesting to see whether they f they see that Telemundo perhaps is. Uh, an easier target to kind of uh, cherry pick and, and be able to win some of those uh, audience over versus the Univision. Yeah, I think that has something to do with it, honestly. Mm -hmm. And in Kartik, uh, north of the border, we had some news this week. Yeah, and, and this comes off of MLS having uh, a really a, a, a stunning 
particularly consider how poorly MLS does on American television, a stunning impact on uh, television ratings in Canada to, to the point where uh, I, I can't even uh, tell you what the share was. They might have gotten a 10 share, um, an either 10 share for uh, the two legs of the Toronto-Montreal playoff series. So they've got a new partnership with uh, TSN, uh, which is the kind of net, uh, sports network of re- record in uh, in Canada and uh, sports. And this is going to be, I think, um, a real watershed moment for MLS because it gives them, I think, the sort of um, blue, blueprint and uh, footprint in Canada that they've always wanted on United States television. So let's see how well it works in Canada. If maybe even the production quality and production values and, and bumper shows that come with this uh, can be translated to an American audience in the future. Absolutely. Uh, now on to the Premier League. This weekend's Manchester United against Liverpool match on NBC Sports, uh, which is going to be Sunday, I think, 11 o'clock Eastern on NBCSN. It's going to feature a pitch-side studio, which, Kartik, you, I, I know you and I love, uh, with Arlo White and uh, Danny Higginbotham and Graham Lasso. So uh, interesting that they're adding Danny Higginbotham uh, to this one rather than uh, Lee Dixon. Maybe Lee is uh, busy that particular day. But uh, I don't know. Danny Higginbotham's, uh, to me, I'm a big fan of his work. Uh, And maybe this is a way, an opportunity to try to kind of bring him in more into the fold and maybe have him um, on a more regular basis. Uh, That would be great. But the interesting thing, Kartik, is is we haven't heard much from um, Jeff Cameron, Tim Howard. Uh, kind of those, um, they haven't done much this this year so far, NBC, as far as kind of pulling them in. Of course, Tim Howard in MLS, but um, you would think that he'd be available, maybe, well, maybe not. He's not in England anymore, so, but uh, even Jeff Cameron, I know he's um, recuperating, or has an injury. He's trying to, he's actually in the U.S. right this second to, to try to get a scan on that or to see what the status is. But, um, but it is interesting that they have uh, Danny Higginbotham there. Yeah, I, I don't know that they're, um Many Americans that they can they can plug in. I think that was the original intent, but uh, uh, Cameron has been injured and, and uh, long term injury, uh, which has forced Mark Hughes to, to shuffle some of his uh, back line. You've seen more of uh, Bruno Martinsindi and, and, and some of those sorts of players recently. Uh, and Tim Howard, of course, is playing in Major League Soccer now. Uh, I do think the Danny Higginbotham thing is interesting that they're rotating him in, much as they rotated in Phil Neville for the Spurs Chelsea match. But Phil Neville, before he got to Valencia to be an assistant coach, had done a number of games for NBC, usually with Steve Bauer, uh, when they would have two big games a weekend, and they would have Dixon and uh, uh, Lasso. I'm not sure if folks remember this from 2014 or 2015, that they would have Lasso and, and Dixon do a game with Arlo White, and there would be a secondary big game some weekends that they would kind of very quietly push Phil Neville uh, mm-hmm. the higher weekend or whatever and pair him with Steve Bauer. I think um, the Higginbotham one is interesting because I, I rate him quite highly, too. So uh, that's... Uh, that, that should be pretty good, and uh, I'm glad we're seeing that for this this uh, game. Again, we didn't see it for Manchester City, Liverpool, or uh, Spurs, Chelsea, which were stunning, I mean, really. and uh, But again, I, I think going back to a previous show, I think it was last week's show, there are um, operational in terms of t- during the festive period, and that's probably why they couldn't do it. Yeah, I, I think I think they're stretched. I think I, I mean there's a lot of stuff going on. A lot of games kind of uh, coming thick and fast, and, and probably some of it is access too. But uh, but this will be interesting. I, I love I love them having the pitch side studios. I think it really brings you into that uh, broadcast and it brings you into that match. And, and I'm really looking forward to seeing that one as well as 
hopefully an entertaining match. Now, Kartik, I've got two words for you, and this is something that probably has been a, uh, I don't know if it's a headache or it's been a part of your, your world this week, but that is uh, provisional D2. So, Kartik, what, what does that mean in terms of uh, TV streaming coverage? And can, can we learn anything from the, the D2, the provisional D2 uh, announcement this week by U.S. soccer? Uh, no, I, I think uh, we don't learn anything from a TV perspective other than maybe the Cosmos with uh, the new ownership will be off of One World Sports. That, that's a possibility. Um, their new owner is a is someone that has uh, Rocco Camiso, who has a a um, background in media and uh, is actually connected, from what I understand, with Ricardo Silva, who negotiated the NASL deals with CBS Sports Network and BN last year. So it's possible the Cosmos will be part of whatever deals are negotiated for NASL this season. Uh, the, se- the second point on this is that I think the NASL operationally is is sending rhetoric that they are going to kind of uh, institute cost control measures. Now, um, if they don't institute um, cost control measures, then it might be as you were. But if they do, I'm not quite sure what their television production is going to look like, what their television footprint is going to look like, because they may not be creating uh, quality enough streams and quality enough broadcast productions to put on BN or CBS Sports Network this year. So we'll have to see on that. Now, uh, from the USL perspective, all is well. They're, they've got provisional D2 sanctioning. They are creating a company uh, called USL Productions, which will um, in, which will bring all of their production uh, of games and uh, magazine-like features and, 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 and video into, into under one roof. Uh, teams have to pay into it. However, the most of the, the, the cost has been deferred and, and paid for by USL, and they've invested in this, this high-end product. It will also produce streams that are good enough to throw games on ESPN3 and ESPN2 uh, and ESPN local announcers. Uh, that having been said, there are a couple of teams in USL, I understand, that will be opting out of USL productions, including FC Cincinnati, breaking maybe a little news. That might have been broken somewhere else, scratching the pitch or, or, or a pod that uh, focuses on Cincinnati. But... Um, I would I, 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 I'll mention that again. I, FC Cincinnati, which uh, is a club that averaged more fans than about half of MLS last season in USL, in the third division now will be a second division club, uh, is opting out of USL Productions and wants to keep their own production team, their own in-house announcers. Because what this does, what USL Productions does, is it's like Premier League Productions. We'll have um, their, their studio will be in Fort Lauderdale, uh, much like TWI or Premier League Productions now. Studios in London. They will have uh, announcers, talent vetted by that company and uh, assigned to games uh, from um, from that studio. Now, uh, FC Cincinnati has decided they want to keep keep uh, kind of maybe a certain degree of homerism. Uh, that's within their rights, so they've opted out. But that will be what the level of what you see is. You will see. Uh, general USL announcers who are assigned to various games uh, by USL productions and the, and the um, production, the, the television uh, broadcast, everything will look the same, consistent graphics, consistent feel, much like you get with the Premier League games that you see on the world feed uh, when NBC doesn't have their own talent at the games and doesn't superimpose their graphics. But again, um, they will not be local announcers. They will be USL announcers based out of Fort Lauderdale, which is why... Um, over at the Vista Studios, which is why uh, are people there are clubs that want to sort of local feel, and uh, FC Cincinnati is one of them, and they are opting out. Okay, 
And uh, last but not least, um, the big news of yesterday, uh, Wednesday, was that we, we broke the news that Fox Sports has hired a new face for their Bundesliga coverage. Uh, not just the Bundesliga coverage, but also uh, a presenter that's going to be working with them for the Confederations Cup, the World Cup, and uh, a lot of other soccer properties, I'm sure. And that person is Kate Abdo. And uh, Kate, you may remember as uh, she was on the 2015 Women's World Cup uh, talent uh, for Fox Sports, and she did the, um, I think there was the, the FIFA Women's World Cup Tonight show, I think it was, uh, due to the night, nightly shows. But she's also worked with Sky Sports uh, from, I think, 2014 to 2016. Uh, she's hosted the uh, Ballon d'Or Awards for several years, and um, she comes with, with a wealth of experience. This is somebody that uh, knows the game, uh, speaks German, Spanish, uh, French, and English uh, fluently, and um, has has experience, and, and in some ways could be maybe Fox's um, basically kind of answer to Rebecca Lowe uh, at NBC Sports. Maybe they're thinking along the same lines in terms of having a new face. But uh, from what I understand, she'll be she'll be the new face of the Bundesliga, um, and then she's going to be actively actively invo- involved on Fox Sports for the soccer coverage. Uh, of course, Rob Stone and Ian Joy will still be there, uh, busy as ever. But I think this is just an indication of, one, uh, Fox's plans for the World Cup coverage. Um, and, but two, also in terms of with the amount of uh, soccer properties that they do have the rights to, is just trying to spread the wealth. So rather than having Rob Stone do every single you know, broadcast of any, uh, any game as well as doing other stuff, here's an opportunity to have uh, to kind of share the wealth and have these guys kind of uh, switch different spots and, and work out what, what's best for each of them. But uh, good news, very good news for Fox Sports, and i um, looking forward to seeing her more on uh, U.S. television. So, Kartik, let's dive into TV ratings. Yeah, um, so the old firm Derby was on New Year's Eve on FS1 before uh, the uh, NBC uh, game between Man- Manchester City. Uh, and uh, there were 61,000 people who watched, it, watched the old, old firm Derby, which is good for a Scottish game. And uh, it was uh, a, a nice thing to see that game on FS1. The New Year's Eve game between Liverpool and Man City on NBC and NBC Universo, which is Spanish language, had uh, close to 1, 1.4 million viewers. It is the most watched EPL game of this season so far. But uh, again, these are tough comparisons because it was on NBC, the network. It was also... Um, it was also a uh, New Year's Eve game, and it was also a Saturday game at 12:30 with uh, no competition from uh, NFL and I think uh, uh, some college bowl games. Although the uh, semifinal game between Clemson and uh, Ohio State in college football kicked off right at the end of this game, but still good rating uh, for that. Um, FA Cup. Uh, some decent ratings for FS1. They, they had 313,000 viewers for Spurs Villa, the game I referenced earlier, and 369 for Preston versus Arsenal, which was in that 12:30 Eastern time on a Saturday time slot. Uh, on Friday, they had 137,000 for West Ham versus Manchester City, which is more than they typically for Bundesliga games in all of these same time slots on FS1. Mm-hmm. So that's important to note. So the Bundesliga doesn't get those sorts of numbers. Uh, that Friday time slot we've seen occasionally. Um, Bundesliga numbers get up to 60 or 70,000 if Bayern is playing. Or I think there was an RB Leipzig Leverkusen game, which was shocked as somebody on a on a Friday that might that got 60 or 70,000. But that's um, that that's uh, 
an interesting uh, thing if you want to do a head-to-head comparison. And, and Bundesliga fans get annoyed that uh, in latter rounds that maybe uh, Bundesliga games get bumped to Fox Soccer Plus for FA Cup games on F1, FS1 once the Bundesliga play later this month. Uh, I've heard those complaints in the past. Why? This is uh, the reason. Uh, Chris, you uh, you might have uh, some news about Sutton. This, this is interesting. <laughs> yeah, this, this is uh, eye-opening. But the Sutton United against uh, AFC Wimbledon match that was on Saturday, the FA Cup match, the 0-0 draw uh, on FS1, had more viewers than the Manchester United against Reading match that was earlier that, that day, uh, also on FS1. So it was uh, the, the Sutton-Wimbledon match had 6,000 more viewers, uh, obviously helped by the 10 a.m. kickoff versus uh, Eastern time versus the 7.30 kickoff with Man United. But still, I mean, regardless, you would imagine that Man United, even for an early match, would get a much high, higher viewing number than a Sutton United against Wimbledon. What it does show, I think, in many ways, is that... Um, I think there were a lot of people on Twitter, especially, kind of complaining, like, ah, why are we got Sutton against Wimbledon? Why don't we have Everton against Leicester? But it does show the magic of the FA Cup in terms of that people are interested in seeing these non-league teams, oftentimes, uh, and lower league teams, and uh, enjoying those types of matches and atmospheres that you, you typically don't get. Uh, I will say, though, Kartik, though, we talked about this last week, I thought that Fox did a really poor job of promoting the FA Cup coverage, now, if you watch FS1 uh, daily and watch all of their kind of talking head shows, uh, none of them are soccer-related, but if you do watch those, then you would have seen FA Cup promos. Now, if you, like me, uh, don't watch FS1 during the week, that you only turn, in, uh, turn on to FS1 or FS2 whenever there's soccer on, you would have had absolutely zero idea that Fox was actually showing the FA Cup uh, this, this go-around, uh, unless you went to willsoccertalk.com and you were reading the stories and looking at the schedules. Uh, as as a, just a couple of different examples, Kartik, uh, on my travel soccer team, kind of where I get to know the parents just as well as, as the kids, um, there's two supporters on there, that, and they're very casual fans. So one's a Tottenham Hotspur fan, and one's a Manchester United fan. And they're both very casual. They do watch, uh, they, they do support those teams. They do watch the games, but they don't watch every game. And they just kind of, they like to have a team, and, and that, that's their team. Both of these guys had no idea that uh, Man United uh, had a game on, on Fox this weekend from the, the FA Cup, and also Spurs had a game. Both of them said to me on separate occasions, uh, like, yeah, I looked at the schedule, which I'm guessing they're looking on the, on the mobile phone, like ESPN FC or something, looking, looking at the schedule. Yeah, and how come, that, how come Man United has a break for uh, a week or 10 days before they play the next game? Same thing, too, with a Spurs fan. A Spurs fan was like, yeah, I'm looking at the schedule, and it's just there's, there's nothing going on this weekend. Both of them had absolutely no idea that Fox uh, FS1 had these games on. Uh, and then I told them about, about it, and they said, oh, okay, great. I'm going to have to set my timer and, and watch it. But just an indication, I think, from Fox's perspective, sometimes they think that uh, people naturally know that the games are on Fox, but that isn't always the case. Correct. Um... And uh, there's always some mystery as to uh, what games Fox is showing, uh, I think, for the general audience also. I mean, NBC, not only do you know that there's they're Premier League games, but they promote the, the particular game they have. Yep. Uh, if they want to involve one of those teams pretty heavily. Yeah, I, and this past weekend, too. I, I didn't see it personally, but I heard about it on Twitter. But uh, on the NFL playoffs, um, they had, on NBC, they were promoting, I think, the Man United against Liverpool match. 
and somebody had posted on Twitter asking me, like, well, do you think Fox is going to do the same thing for the Bundesliga? And I said, probably not, definitely not. And, and as far as I know, they did not. So those types of things, you know, I mean, simple things, really. I mean, yes. It but, but the Bundesliga, Bundesliga doesn't resume for a couple of weeks, so maybe they will uh, as they get deeper into the playoffs. Though. Yeah, but, maybe. So. I, I doubt it. I doubt it. I mean, if, if I had all this time the last couple of years to do it, they, they don't really seem to do it, though, on the, on the other broadcasts. Uh, we had Bob Costas, right, talking about uh, the Premier League, I think, during the, the Olympics and kind of uh, talking about that for a few minutes and stuff like that. I mean, it's uh, precious it airtime. Kind of, kind of corresponds, though, with, uh, look, the Premier League is a, is a natural fit for NBC, and we've said this now for the four years it's been on NBC because there's a focus on international sports there. Uh, they've got Formula One racing, uh, subsequently have picked up um, rugby. A, rugby and some cricket as well. And uh, Tour de France, they've had now, uh, that predates them having the Premier League. And, and now um, uh, they've, they've gotten the Open Championship, uh, which was previously on, on ESPN and ABC. So they have uh, built a portfolio built around a lot of international properties. And I have to say a lot of British and Australian international properties fitting that kind of Anglophone um, uh, preference or Anglosphere preference. So the Premier League fits naturally with, with the sports division and, and, and what they promote and what they, what they broadcast. Uh, with Fox, it just doesn't. I mean, it, it, the Bundesliga and other international soccer properties don't fit with the kind of uh, uh, culture at Fox Sports, which is uh, League Baseball and, uh, and, and the NFL. And they, they do have uh, uh, college basketball now. Rob Stone was actually college basketball of the weekend for them, Big East basketball, but uh, generally have, have not had college basketball in the past. They've had college football for a while, and that's a kind of a whole different kind of sphere. There's a lot more crossover for American soccer fans with hockey, which also is on NBC, sorry, hockey, uh, college basketball, and the NBA. I've noticed that the crossover is much greater with those sports than with, um, uh, than with uh, um, NFL, Major League Baseball, and NASCAR and, and, and uh, college football. So that's, um, that, that's something to note. That's a, good, that's a good point. I mean, I mean, in some ways, the way that soccer is treated at Fox, it's almost like in isolation. It's almost like a, kept, a completely separate division that has nothing to do with kind of the, the normal kind of, um, I mean, tried and true NFL, NBA, NASCAR coverage that, that we're used to seeing. Uh, obviously, that's not the case, but uh, that, 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 from the viewer's perspective, from my perspective, that's the way it feels sometimes. All right, Kartik, let's see what we got next. Okay, so we've got uh, listener mailbag, Kartik. And actually, I'm going to run through uh, these three comments uh, from Twitter and uh, give you some of my opinion about this one and definitely get to hear your opinion. But, but basically what we did the last episode is we talked about Men in Blazers a little bit and we talked about Roger Bennett and we talked about, I think you asked the question, Kardec. You said like, hey, let us know if, if Men in Blazers uh, has influenced you as far as kind of being a gateway drug into watching uh, soccer and getting into soccer. Well, we got three comments from people. Uh, this first is from David Arnold from Twitter, and he says, I enjoy your podcast. Uh, recently became obsessed with soccer since 2014. During the last two summer breaks, I went through all of the Men in Blazers' previous podcasts. Men in Blazers was my gateway. I can, I, I can see it wearing on the crowds that grew up with soccer a, a little bit. But for myself, Men in Blazers introduces context. 
men in blazers gave me background, names I never knew, allowed me to dig deeper in a lot of topics I would have uh, otherwise not have known. Men in Blazers isn't my number one anymore, but, but I still listen to new episodes. Uh, Total Soccer Show, The Goldmouth Pod, and Guardian Sport are my must-listens. Now, the second one is from uh, Amy uh, Damali, also th- through Twitter, and she says, I listen to a lot of soccer pods, and I think what people like about Men in Blazers is that soccer doesn't need to be serious all the time. There is so much more to the sport, at least for me, um, than tactics, formations, etc., it's nice to have a silly break and is more of a casual conversation among friends. When I talk about the games with my friends, we talk about the fun and, um, and random things. Unfortunately, in the U.S., there are only so many options. Uh, the same voices, opinions on ESPN FC and NBC. Men in Blazers is just a nice, fun break. And lastly, uh, as far as the Men in Blazers uh, uh, comments, uh, from Blake uh, Vajgert. Uh, on, also on uh, Twitter too, and he says, just listening to the pod, yes, Men in Blazers was my gateway drug into soccer. Coverage of Euros uh, 2012 uh, was my fix. Now, Kartik, uh, before I have you add your comments to this one too, I do want to mention that when I was talking about Men in Blazers and kind of uh, their influence or lack of influence, I was talking about television. So on the podcast, I, the podcast I, I have no issue with, but in terms of the, the TV side... I was kind of questioning whether or not they had much of an influence uh, on that side of things. Um, it's definitely entertaining if you're into that. But uh, all three comments were kind of people saying, like, yes, the podcast, yes. But none of, none of the comments here or none of the feedback we received was regarding the television show. Uh, Kartik, what's your thoughts on all of this? Um, yeah, I... Um, I Maybe maybe the television show isn't driving people to um, to your league coverage, and we know the ratings are pretty low. However, it's it appears like based on these comments, based on talked to in the interim since the last show, that um, uh, either their uh, fandom was created by listening to the Men in Blazers radio program, or was intensified by listening to. The- radio program so uh and this is all obviously all very unscientific and we we all have our opinions about the actual show itself but uh, it seems like a gateway drug uh whichever comp uh, uh, uh that you just read but it, it certainly seems like that was the case for a lot of folks yeah and that's one of the things i need to do at some point uh, or i'll have one of my writers do in, in the coming weeks is take a look at the, the tv numbers for many places and see if that has uh Increased, decreased, whatever it may be. And I know they've been doing a bunch of uh, live shows recently, kind of at the end of, um, of, of usually the Monday games, uh, sometimes the Sunday games. And, and I think that's a good move in terms of trying to make it feel more like the podcast, make it feel more kind of uh, free-flowing rather than uh, scripted. Uh, again, personally, I'm not a fan, but uh, I can see how people would be. But I want to look at those TV numbers to see kind of how much of an impact uh, they're having, if, if, if at all. Uh, on the podcast side, yeah, I, I completely agree. On the podcast side, I think they, in some ways, uh, have changed um, the whole soccer podcast side of things, where it is a little bit more lighter, uh, and more fun, and uh, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just on the TV side, I don't know, I've just been really disappointed and just feel that it's just the same old shtick. Okay, Karsik, let's move on to the next uh, question or comments, and this is uh, in the listener mailbag from, uh, uh, e- from email, and it's, his name is Clinton Cam. And he says, hey, Kartik and Chris, uh, with the recent episode being about play-by-play and color commentators, I want to ask you th- these three questions. 
And, and Kartik, I'm going to ask each question, and I'll have you answer each one, because I have no clue. <laughs> so hopefully you can help me here, too. Okay, question number one from Clinton is, says, what commentator from another sport would you consider doing well in soccer for play-by-play -play commentating? For example, I would consider Jim Hewson from Hockey Night in Canada doing well in soccer play-by-play -play commentary because of his recognizable catchphrases and his direct style of hockey play-by-play -play commentary. Um, yeah, maybe. Um, I think I think he actually. I I, uh, I think uh, he's much more. And and again, calling hockey is a little bit different than calling these American sports. You don't have as many breaks and stoppages, and, and you have constant action. Uh, he's very kind of direct in his uh, in, in his commentary style. Okay. And then uh, the second question is, uh, what commentator from another sport would you not recommend doing well for soccer commentary? He says, for example, can you imagine Marv Albert using his famous catchphrases such as gorgeous move every time Messi or Ronaldo dribbles through a defender? Um, I would add, Kartik, uh, from my personal point of view, uh, Gus Johnson's probably an example of a commentator that, uh, from another sport that I would not recommend it doing for soccer commentary. Been there, done that, and, and I wasn't a big fan. But, but from your perspective, Kartik, any anyone that kind of comes to mind as far as that it wouldn't be a good fit for soccer? Yeah, I think Joe Buck talks too much, and uh, is is uh, interjecting commentary as well. And then I think Jim Nance, uh, uh, Jim Nance is a guy that has called uh, football, a lot, a lot of uh, college basketball, and um, golf. And, and uh, in golf, you're you're always kind of filling dead time. I'm not quite sure he would do that well. Uh, that having been said, I mean, well, again, maybe as a studio host, some of these guys would be okay. Uh, that having been said, there was a lot of skepticism about Chris, uh, about Chris Fowler and, and uh, Mike Tirico. Chris Fowler is actually a soccer fan, so there probably shouldn't have been much skepticism about him. But when the ESPN brought them into soccer and both did quite well, and, and Tirico, in fact, uh, had an extended run un until the end of his ESPN tenure doing uh, various soccer uh, soccer-related broadcasts, including his sign-off on ESPN, was uh, on a soccer broadcast. So mm -hmm. maybe studio these guys work, but they, they, they won't work as commentators. Yeah, yeah, Tariko is great, and he was in my top ten of uh, presenters uh, for soccer coverage that we recently did. And then the third and final question for Clinton is, is, he says, I don't know if it's me or not, but I notice when it comes to soccer, the commentators tend to be more descriptive than other sports commentators. Other sports like baseball, ice hockey, or basketball tend to be using more of a direct language than in soccer. Would putting a commentator from a different sport over, overall make the soccer experience more watchable since sometimes they could uh, sometimes add a different dimension of excitement during a game? Um, not for me, but uh, maybe for, for other people. I mean, again, I don't know what, what kind of... Uh, uh, announcer you need in, in the American audience to get American sports fans. Perhaps you need a Joe Buck type guy. Maybe uh, maybe John Strong doesn't cut it with his uh, his, his uh, innate knowledge of the sport and his uh, descriptive uh, uh, commentary. Maybe you need someone who's more cliche-ish like a Joe Buck. I don't know. I prefer John Strong. That's why maybe I'm the wrong person to ask, uh, but maybe yeah. uh, different for most, most American uh, sports fans. Yeah, different strokes for different folks, really. I mean, one of the things he talks about uh, soccer commentators being more descriptive than other sports, I think part of that is that a lot of the soccer commentators have a background in radio. Uh, Derek Gray, Martin Tyler, I mean, you go down the list, a lot of them started off in radio. So you have to be more descriptive on radio and kind of paint a picture 
of what you're seeing. And uh, that translates well to, to TV coverage, but oftentimes perhaps is a little bit uh, more descriptive. Arlo White is somebody else, too, that started off in radio. is extremely... Pat, Pat, extremely John Long uh, did, did radio for the Portland Timbers yep. when they were else. So there, there are a lot of um, examples of that, and I think that that's a, that's a good point. Now, I think what we've seen with, uh, with television is that you have... Um, an era now of people who are just calling games that came up through TV. Now, previously, Vern Lunk was just required, retired. He did SEC football on CBS at the end of his career. But he had come up through radio doing Dallas Cowboy games uh, before Brad Sham did. And Brad Sham did a lot of soccer for FC Dallas through the years also. And Lundquist's commentary style was very different than uh, – and he actually did the old NASL uh, on – on CBS back in there or ABC back in the day. But Lundquist's commentary style was much more descriptive than the younger people who had been brought in to do college football games after him. And he just retired, as I said, uh, during the, uh, for that SEC championship game, Florida-Alabama game last month. But he, um, he had a different commentary style because he came through radio. And that's a very good point, Chris. I hadn't thought of that. But that even applies to American sports. And the last question uh, from the listener mailbag is from Scott from McAllen, Texas. And he says, I know the problem is a number of things with the poor MLS TV viewership, but I will point out one problem I have here in South Texas that could act as a small example. I'm sure it can be applied uh, elsewhere. He says that here in McAllen, it's considered Houston Dynamo country. They have Los Toros here. They have two academies here as well. One academy through Los Toros and the Dynamo Academy through the McAllen Youth Soccer Association. Uh, they also support the MYSA Rec League as well. Uh, their shield is on my son's jersey as well as the jerseys um, in my, my um, MYSA. They also put out uh, youth training camps here as well. We literally see the Dynamo Shield everywhere down here when it comes to soccer. They have plenty of promotion, yet you can't watch Dynamo games here on television. They do their regular season regional games through Comcast, and down here is Time Warner. It doesn't do any good to get MLS direct kick because you're blacked out when, it, when it's uh, an in-market team. And Houston is seven hours away and going to a game is difficult. I want to support and watch the Dynamo, but can only watch if they happen to be shown on Fox, ESPN, or uh, Unamas. He says, I find it strange that if I choose to, I can literally watch every single Liga MX game through a season, but rarely have ability to watch the game uh, watch the team that supports the community. Maybe TV contracts uh, is a contributor to less viewers. Would a major network doing regional coverage be a better remedy? Kartik, uh, uh, your thoughts on this? Well, S Scott's just kind of paraphrasing what we hear a lot of critiques of M MLS's TV contracts and and uh, the coverage that has uh, prevented the um, the league from really becoming emerging as a national league. Right? It's, it's it's uh, in niche markets and, and, and uh, popular in, 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 in areas, right? Uh, so th I think this is all very, very interesting. Uh, he has theories behind this, but I'm uh, quite sure there is going to be a remedy before 20 the new television contract. In fact, I think there won't be. Okay, so let's dive into the featured topic of the week. And Kartik, our featured topic of the week this week is uh, the impact of FIFA World Cup uh, having 48 teams uh, as of uh, 2026. 
and what that impact will be on TV networks and the viewing experience. Now, there's been plenty of uh, thoughts and opinions shared uh, across social media and across across the web uh, in regards to what people think uh, from just a you mean a, d- a different perspective, like whether it's a national perspective, etc. But very little from the TV perspective. Uh, Kotick, what are some of your initial thoughts about kind of um, those changes and whether they may be uh, positive or negative? I think they're very negative. I think it's going to uh, water down the product. It gives more games for television networks, but it's going to water down the product. It's going to give you give television networks less attractive games to market. It's going to give uh, uh, viewers, uh, I think, less of a hook to be obsessed with the tournament for a month, a casual uh, uh, viewers. I mean, if they if they're watching. Uh, Uzbekistan versus Trinidad and Tobago. No offense to those countries, but in, in a uh, group stage match, I, I think it's uh, it doesn't quite have the hook that some of the group stages do under the current 32 team format or did under the 2014 or 16 team format in the past. Uh, also, I I just don't like the idea of more games or their body of uh, of players because uh, that that affects the European club game. And and those driven leagues. Also, um, and I think uh, this is important to point out. I think the group stage gets completely messed up by three team groups and the possibility of penalty shootouts and um, completely unworthy teams getting into the knockout stages because they've won two penalty shootouts. Let's say and they played twice and they've gotten they picked up uh, they've advanced because of that. Thus, watering down the knockout stages for television. I, I just. I know why it's being done. I think it's been done for political reasons and, and to pay back uh, voters who voted for Gianni Infantino uh, a, a year ago in the FIFA election or 11 months ago. But I, I don't think it's good for, for football. I don't think it's good for television. I don't think it's good, Good period. Yeah, Karsik, uh, I mean, just alluding to the uh, the penalty kick uh, shootouts there, just for the, those listeners who may not be aware. So the, the, the concepts from Infantino... Uh, the FIFA president is that there will be no draws in matches. So if the games end in a draw, there'll be a penalty shootout, uh, just to just to ensure that there is a winner. Especially in a, in a, in a group of three, uh, you have several groups of three that it's going to be uh, it's going to be tight. So you, you need to figure out who's going to win these games. Otherwise, you could have all draws and it could get kind of uh, pretty mindless. Um, but, but but to me, Kartik, this this whole thing is 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 quantity, not quality. I mean, and, and necessarily, quantity doesn't necessarily mean it is better in the end. You mean, it's, is it better to have a, a 32-team or, or a 16-team uh, tournament with the best teams in the world? Uh, my concern is burnout. So um, traditionally, I mean, a lot of soccer fans will try to watch every game or the majority of games. The concern I have is burnout. So you have all of these uh, group stage matches with these... Uh, uh, each group having three teams, and you have you have about sixteen more games. You will have sixteen more games in two thousand twenty six than you would have, uh, say, in, in this uh, the most recent World Cup, and um, it could lead to burnout. So by the time you get to kind of uh, the quarterfinal stage or maybe the 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 uh, second round stage, you could have where TV viewers are kind of, kind of oh this this is going on forever uh, or seems to go on forever if if you're watching a lot of games and and especially. The quality of them, you have to kind of wonder um, whether these games will be of a, a quality that that we want, want to watch and keep on watching. Uh, at the end of the day, this means approximately one billion dollars more in revenue for FIFA 
because of these changes. So I think pretty much most of us will agree that these changes are being done for monetary reasons, and like you said to Kartik, uh, political uh, favors to kind of, uh, whether it's Africa or Asia, to say, hey, thank you for voting uh, for me, Infantino, to become president. Uh, here's a way for me to kind of give back to you, to kind of help you guys out. And, and we're going to be able to have more teams from Africa, Asia, et cetera, from around the world competing in this type of tournament. Um, from a TV perspective, so it means that Fox will get more games. They have the rights to the 2026 World Cup, as well as 22 and 18. Um, interestingly enough, uh, for those who don't know, uh, so Fox got, had the rights to the 2018 and 22 uh, World Cups. Then uh, they, when, once they found out for the, uh, the 22 World Cup in uh, Qatar that the games would be played in the wintertime rather than the summertime, uh, Fox threatened to sue FIFA uh, because of that. And, and the reason then that basically what happened was that FIFA then gave Fox the 2020, uh, 2026 uh, rights to that at no extra cost, kind of just as a favor to say, hey, here's the 2026 um, World Cup rights. Uh, that lawsuit, that's, that's going to drop that. And, and then they reached agreement there. So Fox is already getting the 2026 World Cup for free, essentially. Um, and now they're getting 16 more games. So they're looking at it probably thinking, like, this is jackpot. We're going to get bigger TV ratings. We're going to get more matches. Uh, we're going to get 16 more countries. Well, not 16 more countries, but a lot more countries participating in this tournament that, than they would normally. Um, so it's probably they're seeing the dollar signs in all of this. Uh, it's sad, though, to Carter, because I think, I think it, it is going to diminish and dilute the quality of the tournament. The other thing, Kartik, is um, match fixing. What are your thoughts? Could this increase the chances of match fixing happening? Yeah, absolutely. I think that you've got a situation now where you've got countries that may not, that, that qualify, that aren't worthy that necessarily of, 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 of this sort of competition, who might have players that play in domestic leagues where their paychecks come late. FIFA Pro is estimated in some, in some, like in the continent of South America, in some countries like Brazil, paychecks come over, uh, uh, over half the time late to players where they might be willing to throw games because there'll be a lot of money that fixers come and approach them with if, let's say, Germany is playing, uh, Germany is playing, uh, is throw out of a Jordan and the Jordanian players haven't been paid in a while uh, at their club sides, and, uh, uh, and the fixers have a 4-0 scoreline for, for Germany or have something along the lines that a Jordanian player will get sent off in the first 30 minutes. Those sorts of bets, it could, it, it could in fact, uh, be very tempting to match fixers. Plus, I think uh, it's one of those things that going into the tournament, if Infantino's uh, concept of having these penalty kicks to resolve games that end in a draw... Uh, does go into effect. Um, uh, basically, kind of uh, bookies knowing going into this tournament that, well, players not going into this tournament know that maybe the number of matches that will have penalty kicks to decide who who goes through to to the next stage or who, you know, who wins that game. It could be, I don't know, say say a dozen games that will be will be resulted um, resolved by penalty kicks. So as far as kind of the match fi fixes, knowing ahead of time, I mean, with a penalty kick. That's something that's, to me at least, a lot easier to kind of uh, fix than, say, a result in a game. You I mean, in a penalty, you could try to convince a couple of players to kind of miss their penalties, um, and uh, then all of a sudden kind of a, a well, shock, shock result happens. 
Yeah, yeah, that's another one, right? That's another possibility. I mean, we could spend the whole, we could have a whole show on match fixing and the possibilities that will open up because of this uh, expansion of the World Cup or just in general in, in, in World Cup competitions and FIFA's unwillingness uh, to tackle this, FIFA's un, uh, really kind of ignorance to the situation or perhaps, you know, given FIFA's uh, history, perhaps some of... Uh, the officials in FIFA are, are, are happy with uh, the, the, the money that's flowing from gambling, and, and maybe some of them are, are, are involved in it, for all I know. I mean, I, I wouldn't rule anything out at this point, because mm-hmm. uh, match fixing, I mean, I remember when Declan Hill first wrote his book, The Fix, eight or nine years ago. I thought it was a real alarmist uh, book. Talked to him, uh, began to change my mind, then observed some things, then worked in the game the second division level in the United States, observed some things, and, and just have come to the point of view now that match fixing is much more prevalent than we think it is, and that uh, the possibilities for match uh, are, so, uh, are, are so endless that uh, if regulatory bodies aren't doing something about it, there's probably a reason for it. Right. And in Kartik, uh, and I'm being sarcastic here, but the voice of reason, uh, Alexi Lalas, uh, which to, who, to me is like the company man. I mean, if you want to ever have somebody to give you the company response, Alexi's the guy. And he says on Twitter in terms of this whole um, 48 teams, he says, I like it. He says, it makes World Cup 2026 immediately unique, historic, and more interesting. Different format, different strategy, different experience. Uh, what do you think about that, Kartik? Um, there is some truth to that. I mean, I think, um, I think there's a possibility that we might see, um, something appealing in the very first world cup, because there's this, this novelty factor of certain countries qualifying for the first time and an expanded field. And we saw that with the euros in, in, in 2016, although truth be told, uh, Iceland and Northern Ireland would have qualified regardless in the old 16-team field. Uh, actually, uh, Albania would not have, so that was a nice story. But there'll be some nice stories like Albania, and, and Albania played pretty well in the Euros. Uh, that will wear off by 2030. Mm-hmm. And what have we done to this world, to this competition? It's a watered-down, cheapened competition with the possibility of match-fixing and all these uh, unappealing television games and its ramifications on European clubs. So, yeah, I think Lawless's analysis fits for the, first, for the 2026 version, which, heck, might be in the United States. So maybe that's what he's thinking of. But, exactly. But- <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit self-serving, I think. I think he's thinking, okay, right, like 2026, it's probably going to be in North America. Probably most of the games will be in the U.S. He's going to be kind of on a pedestal, and uh, he's also going to be probably working with Fox still, given coverage. So uh, he, he has to be kind of positive, I think. Somebody who was negative, um, surprisingly to, to a certain extent, was Grant Wall kind of posting on Twitter saying that, you um, mean, kind of, you mean, is this, you uh, I mean, this is kind of almost not, not the end, but this is a kind of a sad, sad, sad day with the World Cup, and kind of this is kind of the point where maybe it's going to become less meaningful. Um, I replied, replied back to him to say, actually, to me, it was December 2nd, 2010, that was uh, the World Cup uh, became, uh, became less meaningful when Qatar won, won the vote. Um, so, I mean, that's the other thing, too. You've got 2022 in this, all of this. So 2022 could be a disaster well, on, a, right. on a whole bunch of different levels. Russia is controversial enough. 2022 is, uh, is Qatar. That makes it more controversial. In 2026, you have this expanded World Cup. I mean, they really... Uh, so many people said this 2014 in Brazil was the last um, 
genuine World Cup. And my, my thinking was, okay, that's true. We're saying that now with a romantic view of things. Um, and also in the United States, it was the last World Cup on ESPN before this Fox contract began, which everybody's fearful of. But um, that's a whole aside. But then I thought, yeah, we'll, we'll all adjust to the new reality. But now I'm beginning to think that the, the, the competition is going to be so far gone. Yeah romanticizing about the two, 2002 and 2014 World Cups uh, and, and, and maybe the efficiency of 2006, even if it wasn't a great World Cup on, on the pitch, uh, forever now. Yeah, plus you got Euro 2020 that's going to be played uh, throughout Europe uh, with the final at Wembley, but then also I think like six or eight countries been involved in terms of these matches happening all across Europe. Uh, that, well... Politically, and as far as kind of the terrorist side of things, that that's going to be a nightmare to kind of for security. Um, but on the idea perspective, I like that idea in terms of just kind of sharing it around these different countries that are like, uh, but they're not increasing the number of teams to forty-eight. You mean, and the World Cup by twenty twenty-six, maybe it's not going to be that meaningful anymore. Maybe that the twenty twenty-two is going to basically make us so upset that maybe many people will not tune into the twenty twenty-six. Even the 2018, with it being in Russia, there's a lot of question marks about that. Um, and I mean, I think it's almost like it's as each World Cup happens, uh, there's le- uh, there's more and more people that become disinterested for different reasons. Some, a lot of them are ethical or political reasons. Um, but we shall have to wait and see and see what happens there. Kartik, I, w- I want to thank you uh, for joining me today, and, and uh, listeners, thank you for listening. Uh, you can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. And uh, don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And uh, to be, uh, be sure also to send us your feedback or questions so we can read them out on air. Uh, you can reach us at uh, email, uh, which is web at worldsoccertalk.com. On Twitter, it is WSoccerTalk. And last but not least, on Facebook, it is facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk. Kartik. Uh, Over to you. Enjoy your football. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.